0: Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out, starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaaf. As a parent, a trip to the beach on a hot summer day can be exactly what the family needs to complete the perfect vacation. However, as a diligent father, you always have to be aware of possible dangers, even on a remote sandy beach, reminiscent of a pristine paradise getaway. Crashing waves, strong undertoes, did we apply enough sunscreen? Why is that one scene from Jaws continually running through my mind? I know, I'm paranoid, but again, that's the job of a parent, right? Most likely a scenario that isn't a fear of mine, or even on my radar, is the possibility that a Cold War era nuclear bomb is sitting quietly on the bottom of the ocean just off the coast of the beach we're enjoying. That would be something right out of a science fiction movie, right? Surely that would never and could never happen. I mean, our government would deactivate or remove entirely a weapon of that magnitude that would put the entire eastern seaboard of the United States at risk. Well, Missing Chapter listeners, think again. It's not the plot to some Hollywood film, and it's not fiction. Learn about the amazing and terrifying true story of the live nuclear warhead sitting just off the coast of the U.S. And more importantly, find out where it's located before you plan your next family trip on this episode of the Missing Chapter podcast.
1: Hello, Missing Chapter fans. This is Phil Schaff, even with a husky voice. And we have Phil Hornder here. Uh, Phil, a couple weeks ago, you were sick. You had a husky voice. Mm-hmm. I complimented you, um, just for the record. I now have inherited that, that cold. Yes. It seems to be going around the school, yes. going around the state. And even my niece and my sister have it in Kentucky. So uh, if you didn't recognize my voice, yes, this is still Phil Schaff. Phil Horner did not get a new co-host. And yes, we are still drinking coffee. Uh, today's coffees is uh, is brought to you by, of course, Utica Coffee Roasting Company, and it is one of our favorites. It's the Headless Horseman, which we mentioned even a couple episodes ago, and why not go back to something that's this good, right?
0: Right, right. The Washington Irving classic. A couple yes. of Halloweens ago, we, we talked about how, really, um, the, the Headless Horseman and, and that character that was really seen as the first American ghost story.
1: Absolutely. And I, I got to tell you something else, too. I'm going a little off script here, Phil, so I apologize, mm-hmm. but... Uh, we got to give a shout out to Tracy Evans. Tracy's oh, a yeah. good friend of ours. Um our hallway, we have we have a really good we have really good fun colleagues and they they become like part of our family. And one of the things we we've mentioned uh to our our colleagues in other parts of the school is that we want to make our hallway kind of more like a neighborhood. Yeah. Uh with streets and houses. So like our our room is like, "Hey, I'm coming to your house for lunch today." And when we say, "Hey, go see Miss Evans," we don't say go across the hallway. We say go across the street to Miss Evans. Yep. So it's kind of like the neighborhood. Well, our neighborhood friend Tracy Evans, who is an incredible baker, and she's also an avid listener of The Missing Chapter, uh, baked us some unbelievable baked goods.
0: Yeah, and you know, we came in this morning, Phil, the roads were a little bit icy and dicey. We had some early snowfall last night, and you know, you come in in that mindset, and you have uh, just a, a platter full of, of baked goods, Right. you know, meeting you over next to the coffee maker, so... Yeah, yeah, Tracy, she she's great. Yeah, thank you, Tracy. And, and yes. these are really, really good. The the one I I have to say, it's a combination of an oatmeal cookie, but rather with raisins, it's an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie. It's really good. And
1: one of the cookies she makes
0: is what was it, Barbara Bush's favorite? Yeah, uh, apparently the first ladies. One of the traditions is first ladies um, cook cookies and put together a, a, a cookbook. That That's they right. raise money for charities and and then they have a competition as to um, who made the best tasting cookie and I, I think it was Laura Bush's. Oh, it was Laura Bush? It was okay. the cowboy cookie. Yes, that there Tracy introduced us to last year, and it was really really good.
1: And the combination of for cowboy cookies with coffee yeah. is far superior than the combination of cough drops and right. coffee. So. And you
0: know what, Phil? Like like all good friends, we share. And I've I don't know if I've shared my cold with you, but if you if I did. You're, you know, you're welcome. Thank you, you. Enjoy. I really appreciate I hope you that. feel better soon. But, you know, we have a good cup of coffee going. We have cookies that we're enjoying. And we're introducing today to our to our beautiful fan base, The Missing Chapter Mystery. Love it. You know, season three is full of surprises. We've had great guest uh, appearances and discussions with people around the country. And, and today we're introducing The Missing Chapter Mystery. And I think you'll see what we mean. This is a mystery... In, in its full sense, the ending of this particular podcast, it doesn't have your typical ending. It's okay. Where is it? Yeah. It's a, it's an unsolved mystery. So it's centering in Georgia. So, okay. I'm speaking specifically to my, to my Georgia listeners. If you have any information that you can contribute to this, feel free, connect with us, email us, you know, connect to us on social media. We'd love to hear, hear from you. Let's do it. All right. So it starts with Air Force Colonel Howard Richardson, who is manning his B-47 on February 5th, 1958, the height of the Cold War, Phil. When when another American plane, an F-86 fighter jet, accidentally collides with him during a basic training exercise. This is just a basic day on the base. They're running through their training exercises. When and we see this and we hear about this in the news occasionally, catastrophe hits. Hey, can I tell you something? Yeah. Just this past week, right? We saw an air show right.
1: where two planes collided, unfortunately. Right.
0: So it's yeah, I mean, you're talking about people who have unbelievable skills, but you know, their their jobs are dangerous. Right. And accidents do happen. And on this day, in you know, February 5th, 1958, that's unfortunately what happened. The consequences though to this we're still feeling today. The fighter jets pilot. Lieutenant Clarence Stewart didn't see Richardson's plane on his radar. And subsequently, Stewart descended directly into Richardson aircraft. Okay. So the impact ripped the left wing off the F 86 and heavily damaged the fuel tanks of the B 47. So you have a a plane that's more of a fighter jet, Right. right? And a plane that's more of a substantial plane it's bigger and it's carrying things yeah collide both are damaged and both pilots have to make some really quick decisions as to how they're going to save their lives and what they're going to do with the planes that they're they're flying sure okay so richardson howard richardson the b-47 was carrying a two-man crew that day in addition phil to a seven thousand pound mark 15 hydrogen bomb oh my Richardson, afraid that the bomb would break loose from his damaged plane when he attempted to land, decided instead to ditch the bomb in the water before landing the plane at Hunter Air Force Base just outside of Savannah, Georgia. Okay so the decision, it's got to be quick. I'm gonna land. Uh, things are damaged. If I don't land properly or if the, the bomb I'm carrying is is not securely intact, You know it could possibly fall off or rupture you know upon landing i can't have that happen so he decides to cut it loose so stewart and his fellow airmen ejected and eventually landed safely in a nearby swamp to richardson's memory he estimated that he abandoned the nuclear bomb near Wasaw sound just off of tybee island near the georgia south carolina border now tybee island isn't an actual island but rather the name of a small coastal community Located in the northernmost corner of Georgia. I, oh my. All right. So let's yeah. See. Regular wow. ordinary day is not going.
1: It's anything so, but regular. You got to give him some sort of credit here. Absolutely. I'm telling you what. I, if I'm putting myself in that situation, to think that that quickly. Right. You know, I, this is nothing they planned. They didn't no. plan to collide in the midair, but this is something where he says, you know, I, it's almost like he's like, I'd rather sacrifice my own life. And, yeah. And, and risk that than drop the, the bomb somewhere over land mm-hmm. and, and have that bomb right. detonate.
0: That's better safe than sorry. And he knew by doing this, especially <clears throat> over water, right. the chances of it causing any sort of catastrophic you know, impact w- was extremely minimal. So the U.S. Navy begins an immediate search for the nuclear bomb and conducts an ongoing search for more than two months. All right, it, By most records that I, I came across said somewhere in the vicinity of 10 weeks, they're searching for this bomb. 10 wow. weeks. And it included over 100 Navy personnel. But Phil, astonishingly enough, nothing is ever found.
1: All to right? this day,
0: nothing is... Well, well, we'll get there. It depends. Nothing is ever found. Shortly after their failed search and recovery mission, the Defense Department, in conjunction with the Navy, advises that the bomb should, in fact, remain at its resting place. So they're saying, listen, hey, we didn't find anything, but maybe that's a good thing, Okay the initial claims by the government were that it contained a dummy trigger and didn't actually pose an actual public threat unless it was disturbed so if it fell somewhere it's going to sit there there's no way of activating it it's safe hey it's not convenient it's not it's not necessarily a good thing by right. any means but it doesn't pose a threat we didn't find anything but we're still good that's what we're 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 hearing in 1958
1: so one of the things that that come to mind is I remember in our studies for the Manhattan Project and uh, you know the H bomb the A bomb the Hiroshima Nagasaki all these different studies the documentaries mm-hmm. we've seen I I've heard this um, comparison where you know a lot of people think that the when the bomb exploded over Hiroshima Nagasaki that it it, it was it was detonated by land right which right. is not true in fact they detonated you know, a few hundred yards above the land to create more destruction. So Mm. it was not impact detonated at all. It was timer detonated. And one of the, the, I I don't remember exactly where I heard this, but someone likened it to listen, if, if you drop a, an H bomb on the ground, it's not going to explode because it hasn't been charged. So it would be similar to, uh, you know, having a loaded gun, Mm -hmm. but until you cock it back and put one in the chamber. If you right. drop the gun, you still have to pull the trigger.
0: Right. And yeah, you have those safety yeah. kind of built in procedures along the way. Like you're saying, to to keep accidents from causing, you know, devastation. So
1: but in that same respect, if I drop a gun and I know it's loaded, I'm going to want to go find it. Right. And, and
0: any time you hear hydrogen bomb, nuclear weapon, you your thoughts automatically and rightfully so go to the worst.
1: Right. And, right. And we're not talking uh, across the pond here. We're right. talking an Americans. Very
0: soil. close, you know, just off the shore to to Georgia. So that's 1958. And, you know, listen, we're at the height of the Cold War. So things happen. I mean, Vietnam, um, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, things it kind of gets lost along the way. We fast forward all the way to 1994, and I'm not sure what initiated uh, the declassification of more documents, but there's a second document in 1994 that's declassified. It tells a completely different story, okay? Because really the questions are still there. What kind of bomb was this exactly? What safety hazards exist? Phil, where the heck is this bomb? Right. That was there's my just question. so many places it could be. My God, yeah. So according, so the second document in 1994 is declassified. And it's a 1966 congressional testimony that had been given by then assistant secretary of defense, W.J. Howard, to the U.S. Congressional Joint Committee on Atomic Energy. So according to Howard, the lost weapon was not as how do I want to say this? It was more dangerous than than what originally we were led to believe. Okay. the lost weapon, in fact, according to Howard, was a complete, fully functional bomb with a nuclear capsule. Now. If that is indeed the case, then the bomb does in fact contain a plutonium trigger. The resulting explosion would include a fireball with a radius of over a mile and thermal radiation for up to 10 times that distance. So he's saying it's a much deadlier bomb and the trigger, you know, isn't a dummy trigger. It's a plutonium trigger. Now, if it's not initiated by a human, what sort of impact is sitting on the bottom of the ocean going to have on this? Oh my! And even if it's not a bomb that's exposed, how about the materials that went into that bomb? What it, what's happening to them?
1: So, as it's sitting on the bottom, and the and the, the salt water is deteriorating this thing, right? Is it, I mean, you hate to what's use the term, on? is it a ticking time bomb? It, but, exactly, but, but that's it's... Phil.
0: It's exactly what it is. In two thousand one, a report is released on the search and recovery effort of the bomb, the Air Force says that if the bomb is still intact, the risk associated with the spread of heavy metals is low. So they're kind of referring to the original report and saying, listen, it's not an ideal scenario, but we should be good. From there, the 2001 report seemed to defer to the original report of essentially letting let sleeping dogs lie, which is to say if the Mark 15 hydrogen bomb were left to be undisturbed, The explosive in the bomb posed no no real hazard. The 2001 report went on to say that an intact explosive would pose a serious explosion hazard to personnel in the environment if disturbed by a recovery effort. So they're saying, listen, even at this point, an unintentional trigger could happen just by trying to recover it from the bottom of the ocean they attributed that assumption to the damage that the salt water would have on the bomb casing as well as the corrosiveness of the materials themselves contained in the bomb. Now, I'm not sure if this report, you know, put Georgia residents at ease or managed to do the exact opposite. It also brings to light a very curious set of questions as to why exactly no one can agree on the exact design of the bomb and on how just how dangerous and destructive the device is. But Phil, for me, and I think for all of our listeners, Why are there so many conflicting reports? And why, most importantly, can't anyone find this missing nuclear bomb? Before we get to the next portion of our show, Phil and I would like to take the opportunity and thank everyone who emails us and leaves us voice messages with questions and comments pertaining to our stories, including Green Bay's very own Cheryl Rayon. That's right, Phil. First of all, thank you so much for the question. And for all of our listeners, Her question
1: pertained to our transition from fossil fuels to electric cars. Well, Cheryl, it's almost like you're in our heads because we address this specifically on our December 17th episode called Current Revolution, when we call in the senior editor Aaron Gold from none other than one of the most popular car magazines on the globe, Motor Trend Magazine. So tune in to that episode to get the full scoop. Thanks again, Cheryl, for the question and to all of our Missing Chapter listeners who take time to message us. All right, Phil, I love where you're taking us on this episode. We know it's a mystery, so we don't know maybe exactly what the answer is going to be, obviously. But uh, we still have some questions that that you left us with um, that need to be answered. Now, before we do, I just want to make sure that uh, the listeners know this is actually a nice precursor. We didn't really plan it out like this, but it just ended up being like this. Uh, next week's episode, not to give any spoilers, but... Next week's episode has something very similar to this story, so stay tuned for next week's episode right. as a as a little bit of a follow up to this week. So
0: yeah, to, to kind of give you guys um, a little insight, a little background as to how this works, we we always when we have a new episode, Phil, we'll we'll give each other, all right? What's the title? What's the kind of the 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 text that'll go on to our platform? So we kind of set things up, right? You know, accordingly before we actually record the full episode. And you'd seen the, the word nuclear, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're doing something based on a nuclear weapon or a, of some sort? And I said, yeah. So like you said, completely separate. But there's a really nice overlapping between this week's episode and next week's. I, I think people will enjoy it. And even even dealing with water, with the yeah. depth of certain devices. Yeah, no spoilers.
1: But yeah, take it away, Phil. What, what do you got for us the second half?
0: So here's the mystery. Because where are we? I mean, we really haven't established anything. Like the bomb was never found. We can't even agree on on what kind of bomb it is, what it looks like. Um, And how dangerous it is. So while the government has officially stopped searching for the bomb and did so quite some time ago, area residents, including a retired Air Force pilot by the name of Derek Duke, he had not forgotten about the deadly weapon lying quietly off the American coast and continued to conduct his own private search. In 2004, Duke detected high radiation in shallow water off the coast of Savannah, a little region uh, called Little Tybee an area that aligned with where the bomb could have possibly been dumped government officials investigated <clears throat> but it concluded that the radiation readings were normal for the naturally occurring minerals found in the area specifically um an element called monazite or monazite which is uh contained in the sand so they said this is naturally occurring this is something you would find in this area I don't know there's still regardless. some red flags so. though right still no bomb Still no, still no decisive evidence that investigators are even close for that matter. So while this, at its best, sounds like the script for the next History Channel reality TV show, right. that's what I kept thinking, like, why haven't we done something to search for? yeah. Um, and in its worst, the next doomsday st- scenario for at least the state of Georgia. One theory, a rumor out there, um, that seems to at least have some legitimacy to it is that the bomb was recovered by a Soviet submarine sometime during the cold war. Oh my gosh. And that's why it has never been located. And as far fetched as that sounds, where's the bomb. Right. And there are some, you know, historians who say, listen, we know Soviet submarines came closer to the coast than we ever imagined. Especially in 2022. Is it conceivable that they located this, that they recovered it? Possibly. It's not far fetched at least. So, The missing Tybee Island hydrogen bomb continues to be a topic of conversation and debate. In 2015, a satirical news site posted a phony story about a vacationing Canadian couple finding the bomb while scuba diving and that it was finally retrieved. But alas, that was not true. It's still out there somewhere, most likely buried under an estimated 15 feet or so of silt. Oh, wow. Or, Phil. Oh, boy. Is it? We don't know. The mystery is e- where is it, and whatever happened to the bomb? All right. So you,
1: you kind of answered that first question I had. It's because well, how many years of erosion and how many years of of I don't know soil and silt overlay mm-hmm. over top of this thing is it since the Cold War, right? Right. And the the other thing I thought of honestly is is the office. Where are the turtles? Where are the turtles? Where's the bomb? <laughs> And, you know, I don't know, it seems just so fishy, I guess, pun intended, that there's radiation levels mm-hmm. that are occurring. Granted, we know that it's normal for that area, but it, doesn't it seem just all too ironic the fact that there's radiation levels at the exact area where they thought it could have been? I know, I know. And it, then <clears throat> I'm glad you explained too that there was a, a, a family that was vacationing there because I was I was wondering how you were going to tie that back into the title. Right. Because I'm thinking to myself, what if, uh, what if I'm on vacation and, and you know, is there a massive explosion that we're expecting? Does anybody
0: know that on the beaches of, of Georgia that, that this is out there? I'm wondering if most people, unless you're a resident in that in that area, and you have been and you've heard the story. I I mean, Phil, you and I are historians. We live on the East Coast. I'd never heard of it up until this point. Right. But it brings up a good point, too, in that, okay, the the Navy government has looked for this, and they've been unsuccessful. But the amount of traffic in terms of vacationers, fishermen, you would think almost maybe someone would come across it by accident. Right. Um, or at least detect it on, on some sort of equipment or they would snag it at some point and, and there would be reason to go down and, and investigate. It just seems like it's not a, a massive area. You can kind of zone in on where they were flying, where the drop would have occurred. OK, if he's off target in, in his speculation, there was a lot going on. We understand that. But the radius would have to end somewhere somewhere as to where it could conceivably be. The so where has to end?
1: End? is it? Right. So the radius has to end as well as someone's patience level. Because right. all I'm thinking of is like, at some point, someone's like, you know what, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm waving the white flag. We're, we're giving up on this thing. Right. How, how far into the search is the white flag being waved? Because right. in my opinion, I mean, you've got a, a nuclear weapon mm-hmm. off the coast of a very populated area.
0: Why aren't we... Right, and you Doing know more. what? With all the conflicting reports over decades, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it does lead me to think um, that maybe there's something into this, um, something more to this rather that we we're not being told.
1: Because we we know we've we've actually done a few mm-hmm.
0: episodes about how
1: close we actually were to nuclear war. Right, closer than we the history books will tell you. Uh, to the point where you have some people who are brave enough to speak up and say, "No, I'm not going to take that order," mm-hmm. and and you know not going to nuclear war, uh, we had no idea up until about 20 minutes ago, at least I didn't, that there was a nuclear weapon that close
0: to our shores. Right.
1: And it's, you know, it's dormant, I guess. Or is it? Or is it?
0: Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaaf. And I'm Phil Hornder. Another chapter has been added to the History Textbooks.